This is episode number 51 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. As always, we have an amazing lineup of really engaging topics to talk about, most of which are probably going to be Google, as always. Before we get started, though, Corey, what are you drinking? Well, I'm still reeling from my episode 50 hangover from that champagne we were drinking, but <laughs> I'm doing a gentleman's drink of just straight scotch tonight. How about yourself? Um, I'm doing gin and ginger. Ooh, uh, for those, Yeah, it's, it's an amazing drink. I like to drink it when I fly. Mm. I don't know what relevance that has that, to this. but That 30,000 yeah. feet up adds that nice yeah, extra crisp. Yeah, exactly. Jameson and ginger is always a good combination too. Okay, I'll have to give that a try tonight when we go out. All right, so run us down. What's the list of topics? Well, before we get started, if you have an idea for a topic, something that you listen to every week and you're like, are they going to cover that? Oh, they didn't. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Shoot us a topic, or you can reach us at thebeardmarketers.com. Go to our contact us form and drop the topic there as well. Also, if you're an expert in a field, or not even really an expert, you just know a little bit about something, hit us up. We might do an interview with you. We've been doing some of those recently. They'll be coming up. So again, if you know something that we don't necessarily talk about all the time, hit us up and we'll uh, feature you on the show. So let's go ahead and hop into these topics. So the first one we're going to be talking about, still a mystery to a lot of people, but remarketing and what are some ways to target that and maybe some under wraps features that might be coming out with the big platforms that we got some firsthand experience into. Next, we're going to be covering customer ratings coming to AdWords and some new rollouts there. Moving right along to Gmail deliverability, how can you get those numbers up? How can you get those Gmail eyes on your emails and make Mm, those dollars? How do we do that? And then the last topic we're actually going to leave for a surprise, see if we get time to get to that one. But let's go ahead and get started. Remarketing, Rob, how do we recover those people that don't give us money the first time or their information? Yeah, exactly. So for those who are not familiar with remarketing, I'm not going to cover it. Just Google it. We have a video. Give us the 10 second. Okay. The 10 second overview of what remarketing is. It allows advertisers to direct advertising directly to people who have interacted with them in some form in the past. So this could be someone who's visited your website, someone who's purchased from you, someone blah, blah, blah. Basically lets you target your ads on content networks, Google AdWords, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, to those people who have done something, done visited something us, on your website. Yeah. Gave us money, something. Exactly. So yeah. basically I wanted to talk about a couple new features that are coming out on some of the remarketing platforms. Forever, Google was the leader in this, at least in terms of self-serve advertising. It was super easy to get up and running. They've really actually revamped a lot of that stuff. It's now built in through Google Analytics now. Mm-hmm. So it's even easier. And they've just upgraded that integration. So now... You can also go through Google Analytics to integrate your product remarketing. So for your e-commerce platforms out there, you used to have to go through like Google Merchant Center and something like that. It was a little bit of an awkward integration. Now you can integrate directly inside Google Analytics plug it into your AdWords campaigns that are remarketing. And it's been a while, but they actually rolled out being able to generate your remarketing list from GA2. So in the past, you might have been turned off from remarketing because it used to be script-based. So you had a remarketing script that you had to run separately on your site. And if you wanted any sort of logic into that, like people that went to a certain category on my site or a certain page or did something, you actually had to code that into the script. So it became kind of complex if you wanted any sort of intelligence into that. But now you can actually generate your remarketing list straight through Google Analytics and build your funnels that way. You might have to upgrade or enable some features in your GA depending on what install you have because it's it does take a certain requirement of permissions and a certain tracker library. 
but it, it makes it super easy. So I, I think we got sidetracked there. So keep going. <laughs> well, it's basically built on that. So it okay. uses a lot of that same logic. Um, you can pass in custom variables like whatever your product names are or categories or price figures or whatever and remarket to custom segments that you create through Google Analytics now. So that's one update. Update number two is, um, this one's related to Facebook. So for the longest time, Facebook only really allowed you to remarket towards people who either obviously were like already following you or liked you on Facebook or someone whose email address you had from some, you know, maybe they purchased something from you or they signed up for your newsletter. You were able to upload uh, a list of email addresses and it was able to target or exclude those people from your campaigns. Now they've integrated the ability to add tags to your website. So now you can also track people more directly like Google has always sort of offered and a lot Mm -hmm. of the other platforms did. Now you can do that directly with Facebook. You add some code to your website and you can do Similar stuff that you had to do in the past. So take a specific code and put it on your product pages and then target those people. Take a specific code, put it on your blog and maybe target those people separately. So it allows you to do some of those things with Facebook now and you don't have to go through third parties like AdRoll and and everybody Ah, else. Uh, Finally, the last one is Twitter and this is coming up. This is super secret for you guys right now. No one else knows this. Everyone lean in. Yeah, we got contacts over at Twitter. Twitter is releasing that same exact feature now, finally, on their platform. So it was similar with Twitter. You had to know email addresses to remarket to people. They're releasing tags very soon. Actually, by the time this comes out, it might be released, if not very soon. So you'll be able to add tags to your website to remarket to people directly on Twitter, which has been an awesome advertising platform for everything we've done so far. So those are some of the updates in the remarketing world. Now, I, this is more of a technical question, but do people actually have to be logged in in that session when they visit your site for that to count? Or do they base it off of like IP or something else like that? Do they have like other fallback? It's all cookie based. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't matter if these people are logged in. If at some point they come back to Twitter logged in with a cookie from your site, gotcha. uh, yeah, they'll be remarketed too. Boom. So, so yeah. hop on that train. I mean, remarketing in general not just in the e-commerce space, but especially in lead gen can really open up the opportunity to get that second chance in front of someone or just continually nurture that lead. Some of these sales and the types of information that we're getting from people is oftentimes a big commitment. And sometimes it takes more than that first exposure. So remarketing can really change the game for a lot of companies. I know that ones that we've worked with have gained a lot from remarketing And it really opens up your eyes to what type of mix you need in your advertising because you can try different things at different points within remarketing and kind of see what works. But definitely give it a try. Some great new updates coming out from Google, Twitter, and Facebook. So just widening that net where you can just gather those people back on. Shepherd them back. More campaigns you have to pay attention to and manage. Just keep building that out. Or you can hire (laughs) other people. All right, so moving right along, a new feature coming out on AdWords is the ability to show customer ratings from a new source. So you might have noticed with some ads and even some search listings that Google has been aggregating in some reviews from many different sources. In fact, they had even bought a very large review company, Zagat's, a while ago to amplify their search engine results. They pulled in from Yelp for a while. Trustpilot's another one that they work with. Obviously, Google Plus reviews and things like that. But Now what they're allowing is customer review annotations directly within your ads. And we're going to tweet out a link because it's complex to describe. But what's interesting is Google is actually reporting that when they tested these over many different segments, they saw an average click-through increase on these ads by up to 10%. 
So performance of these increased quite a bit. And what this data is actually based on is instead of pulling from some sources where you might get less than genuine reviews, like we'll use Yelp again, they've gotten in trouble for that. They actually base it off their own consumer reporting platform. And so how this will work is you sign up with them, they actually gather some survey data on your company based on different publishers that they have agreements with and things like that to collect basically NPS scores on your company and how people's general opinion of your brand is. And if it's favorable, to your liking, you can start including it into your AdWords campaigns and see what the differences are. That's that's what I was going to ask about that 10% lift. Obviously, if you have a one out of five star... You're not going to include that. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. So you have the opportunity to include it or not. I wonder, though, about again, about the 10% lift. Is that you know just for people, hey, I only want to include this because I have a five star or four and a half star or whatever it is rating. Sure. Um, I don't include it for anyone who's got three or less or something like that. So obviously, yeah, you're going to see a lift if you include your five star rating. Right. Um, but how many people does that actually apply to? I'd be curious to see what the ratings sort of look like because I was actually looking at Open Table the other day to look mm-hmm. for restaurant uh, reviews. Everything is four and a half and five stars. What is the point of that? That's <laughs> it's useless at that point, right? Um, so I wonder sort of what that sort of stuff looks like. It's all based on how they ask those questions. And sure. Well, th- a lot of the system is actually automated through mm-hmm. Google, and so that was something that in this article they were kind of interviewed on is how do you ensure kind of fairness in this or more of a scientific approach because a lot of people like you said cherry pick or with some of the brands that i've worked with when we're working with review products like Trustpilot, we actually score the customers before we ask them for reviews so only if we feel like they had a good experience or they've expressed to us that they were very satisfied then we'll send them to reviews so how does google get around that And so because of some of the differences in theirs that they don't necessarily rely on you providing those customers, rather these are just general surveys that they send out to their own selected populations, that's kind of how they select that. But like you said, if only people are going to show their scores if they're very high, then it might dilute the value. But I think what our listeners need to take into mind is much like many things online, it takes a long time for people to warm up to this. So I think this might be the case where first to market is really going to gain the most. So if you can hop on this train, work with Google to get some surveys and a score out, and if it's decent, I think you might have a leg up on your competitors for a while before they actually catch up to what you're doing and are able to execute. So even if it gets diluted later down the road, you still are able to take advantage of maybe a couple months or a year of really standing out in those uh, search results. And if it is true that you get you know 10% plus click-through rates, then that might be a big difference for your advertising campaigns. I think that's a good thing to mention, jumping on some of these things as they're hot and new and different and novel for people. You know, remarketing is one of those things that I think we're maybe starting to get to the point where everybody needs to be in on this, uh, mm-hmm. or we're going to get to a point where everyone's already doing it. And the the new uniqueness, like customers see, oh, that's something that I was looking at the other day. That's weird. And like attracts their eye and they click on it. And I think remarketing's effectiveness is going to go down over time as more people become aware of it and how effective it is and how ubiquitous it is. It's going to become less effective. So get in on some of these new strategies that are coming out that you hear about and you're like, you know, it's like social network advertising. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was really effective for a lot of people back in the day. 
And now Facebook's kind of hard to get into sure. for the advertising space. So you just got to get in on some of these things in the in the early days and test them out and see if they work for well, you. Well, and a lot of times it helps the small guys leapfrog the large companies. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we work with the bigger companies, they're just not very agile at all. And they're kind of set in their ways. So when you get to hop on these new features, oftentimes it's a way for you to stand out from the crowd. And even though you might have competitors that you feel like you really are fighting David and Goliath type situation, the ability for you to be agile and jump on these things can really be the game changer for you. So just keep that in mind. Be agile. It's worth it. There is a cost to it. And sometimes you'll get burned and it won't work out, but you got to be with it in these times. So moving right along, Gmail deliverability. It's a huge segment for a lot of people, the Gmail users. And Rob has some interesting tips on how do you get those eyes? You know, there's been a lot of Gmail changes this year. I think it's it's a word that if you're an email manager, you might have cried over this year, whether it's been the email caching issue, whether it's been bringing in the tabs, whether it's been now the new unsubscribe link. So there's a lot happening in the Gmail space, but how can we get those eyes, those people paying attention to our emails with all these changes? So Rob, enlighten us from the mountain. All right, so here, this is an article from a guy over at Return Path where they talk about, you know, they cover some of the latest changes in Gmail and how to interpret some of these things, but it's basically six things to watch for for better Gmail deliverability is the title of the article. I don't know about everyone else out there, but for me, a lot of my newsletter lists are overwhelmingly Gmail users. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely something to pay attention to. If you're B2B, that's not as much as the case. But a lot of people who are signed up, for example, for the Bearded Marketers newsletter are Gmail. And there's a lot of business professionals in there. So let's just get right to it. Number one, URL shorteners are basically a surefire way (laughs) to uh, not make it into the inbox nearly as often as using full URLs. I guess it's maybe for a trust standpoint. Google's unsure about those links, so that is a safeguard, sequester them. Right. This is especially the case, obviously, in like bulk mailings. And one specific example they give is Bitly being particularly bad to use in your bulk emailing. So URL shorteners, don't use those things. Use your full URLs. Obviously, tracking URLs are okay, but don't don't jump them through Bitly links. Number two, the unsubscribe link, which is now obviously available in Gmail. They monitor those things, and if large percentages of people in a campaign send unsubscribe, the rest of those start to go to spam, and your subsequent emails start you know, going to spam folders. So they pay attention to some things like this. Um, along with reporting that back to your ESP, so, and you can get burned there as right, well. Right. Along those same lines, number three, spam complaints. Very similar sort mm-hmm. of thing. Apparently, he says they look at these primarily on a campaign-by-campaign basis. So not necessarily your whole domain is now blacklisted, or your IP is blacklisted, but that particular campaign that you've sent out has been marked by as spam by a ton of people. Uh-huh. And so now we're going to clear those out of everybody else's inboxes. So, you know, we so really our- trying to force like what we talk about here on the show a lot is quality, you know, not necessarily blasting emails just when you have a random thought, but actually putting some real effort into your campaigns and watching out and ensuring that you don't get a whole campaign fried because you really didn't think about it that much. And it's, you know, you get a lot of people unsubscribing or things like that. 
Yeah. Number four on here is affiliate marketing. And this is one that I don't know how many businesses this really applies to because as an affiliate marketer for a long time, most companies don't let you send emails on behalf of them. Sure. Uh, because a lot of these email providers like Gmail, especially, you know, want those emails to come from the main, the main company themselves, not from these affiliate marketers. And if they do come from the affiliate marketers, they need to be sent as if they were from the main company, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, so sent from the affiliate marketers sort of campaign and uh, through their ESP, but should appear as if they're coming from whatever the main company is so as not to confuse customers. Number five, and this is an obvious one, I would think, is blacklists. Apparently, Gmail does not officially say that they subscribe to blacklists, but apparently through some research, they've sort of discovered that that's not really the case. Um, they, they Yeah, they definitely pay attention to the real-time blacklists and the DNS-based black hole lists which are usually based on domain names. So similar to like Spam House or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, if you're listed on some of those blacklists, you need to change ESPs, get your domain off of those things, take the appropriate steps to get out of those because your Gmail delivery is going to be terrible. And finally, the promotions tab, which I think we covered pretty thoroughly back in the day when that originally came out. Obviously, there's implications involved there. If all of your emails are going into the promotions tabs with every other marketer's there's you know, some speculation that your click-through rates may not be as high, your open rates may not be as high. And there's some tactics you can take in terms of you know, notifying people, hey, you know, put us in your inbox. Um, there's some other things you can maybe do, like actually using senders or receivers' names in the emails to try to get into your primary inbox. So there's some sure. other tactics you can take. But that's definitely something you want to take into consideration when you're doing your next Gmail campaign send. Those are six quick little tips. Uh, you know, nothing too crazy or in-depth right there, but six quick little tips to keep in mind to increase your Gmail campaign performance. Because Gmail is huge now. Everyone, especially with Google Plus and the YouTube integration, everyone mm-hmm. has a Gmail address at this point. And a ton of people use it as their primary. So... Last topic we'll cover, because we've ran into some interesting ones as of late, is surprise test results. So why don't you go ahead and cover the one that we were talking about actually this week, one against general convention or best tips, I guess, in air quotes. Yeah, so to set this up, uh, you know, the two of us, we obviously run tests with a lot of client partners out here. So we run into a lot of interesting tests that we don't publish anywhere else. You're not going to run into these kind of things on marketing land or marketing experiments or wherever else these case studies are published. So these are just, you know, sometimes we like to talk about weird random tests we ran and got interesting results. So uh, about a week or two back, I ran a test with a partner of ours who does a free trial sign up thing. And it basically just requires a couple fields, name, email, password kind of thing. We tested adding a question with a drop down to the landing pages. And we had assumed that, you know, we're, we're doing this to get better data on our people so we can market to these free trial signups and, and try to, you know, convert them to paid members more easily. We'd assumed that this was going to lower conversion. So we we're running this as a test to see what's the impact and then test how valuable that data is right. and, and measure so it So even against. if you did lower conversion, if you're able to market to them better, maybe it's a wash or exactly more exactly. profitable. But what we'll come to find out, this actually increases conversion rate on the signup form by 25%. And this validated very quickly at like a, a 98% or something like that. So adding a question to a quick signup form increased conversion pretty significantly. And I think maybe the takeaway or, or why that may be is just that I think it adds a little bit more credibility sure. uh, to the form. It makes it seem a little bit more substantial and not just like you're just trying like to get my plate. email address. Yeah. You know, It actually seems like, oh, this is relevant 
to what I'm looking for and they're actually looking for some information to help me create a better account and experience for me. So that was one surprising result. Do you have anything to... I actually ran a test lately where we were looking at a credit card process. And so really, especially kind of in the e-commerce space, you know, most of the best tip guides and things like that will tell you that less forms is more, kind of like you were talking about. And, you know, when you can, don't require things, things like that. So we actually ran a test where we were looking at requiring CVV or the credit card security code. And this is a big deal for a lot of merchants because, you know, there is this question of if I'm requiring more, is that going to cost me on conversion? But oftentimes, if you're providing your merchant the security code, your merchant fees are actually less because there's more fraud checks in place. Your fees can be less, your rejects can be affected. There's a lot of things that are implicated, but this it's this tug of war. It's like, do I want to ask for more information? Are people going to buy less? And so with this particular client, they hadn't made it required in the past. It was just an optional. And what we found is when we made it seem required, so we styled it just like everything else, made it required, we actually saw orders go up at a measurable rate. So the hypothesis around this was, in many merchant processors, you get a couple opportunities to pass fraud checks and they'll give you a couple of mistakes. So when you're submitting a payment to your merchant, they might be checking address, credit card number, CVV if it's available, and a couple other things. And basically they give you an allotment of, you need to pass at least two out of the three or two out of the four or whatever for us to accept this. And so one of the hypotheses is that actually by requiring CVV, any sort of drop-off that we are getting with that was actually being overcome and passed by the number of people that were now successfully passing our payment page processing because we are giving them more opportunity to actually pass the fraud checks and be successfully processed as a payment. So the gain was quite significant. Much like you said, it actually validated fairly rapidly with us. We ran over like a week and a half or two week period. So tons of orders in there, particularly with this client. And it was just a little bit striking to us that going against kind of the grain, you know, actually requiring something, but working through it in our mind, it actually did make sense that maybe we did squeeze out some more performance. And even though we probably maybe turned a little bit off, the makeup and potentially the passing fraud checks and things like that actually netted out to be a gain. So I thought that was an interesting test where, again, probably wasn't recommended if you read the five best tips for e-commerce checkout, but it actually worked out for us to be a gain and might be something that you want to look at throughout your, or just think through some of those things on your own sites. Yeah. And I think some of that makes sense because, uh, you know, as much as a lot of us marketers like to think that people take the time to really understand uh, forms that they're filling out and fill them out correctly without typos and use the correct mm-hmm. information, oftentimes that's not the case. So another example of that is, you know, we run some tax websites where we tell, sell tax filings and extensions and things like that. And what we're running into a lot uh, this year on one of our websites is people inputting their names and social security numbers incorrectly. So be it typos or they just don't actually know what their SSNs are or whatever it is, these people are filling out these forms incorrectly a lot. And those are pieces of information that you're, you know, you're submitting to the IRS. You would think you would right. take the time to make sure that those really are filled out it. properly, but they're not. And that's another example of people maybe aren't filling everything out correctly. So in your case, having those extra fields 
to validate against credit card security things really makes a huge difference because people forget their zip code or whatever it is, sure. whatever those other validation uh, requirements are. Well, and it was actually win-win, kind of as I was talking about before. Not only did we gain more orders, but in this client's particular case with their merchant, it's actually cheaper for us to process those orders, right. the fees that they charge. So not only did we get more orders placed, but we're also getting it at a cheaper rate. So for them, it was really a win-win, but interesting that it was going against general consensus. So Yeah. One, one more uh, interesting test that I ran recently that I want to mention before we run out of time here. We were recently running a landing page test for one of our partners, and the metric here was just to increase click-through rates from this landing page in further into the process of describing the product more thoroughly and potentially people buying it. So we had designed up four drastically different pages and ran them all on a test. And not surprisingly, you know, there's di- major differences between a few of these. We're just sort of throwing some different designs at it and see what happens. Uh, two of them drastically underperformed. You know, we paused those out. We ran the next two for about two, three weeks, though, and they had the exact same performance, even with drastically different layouts and huh. copy and, and button text and all sorts of things. So I think that's an example of, I mean, I literally think we paused the test and kind of went with, okay, which one do you like better? Because <laughs> all the other metrics, I mean, it's all the same. Right. Um, and it wasn't necessarily just a case of, well, people were highly motivated because we had other treatments that performed very poorly sure. compared to these two. But these two had the exact same metrics. I think that's the first time I've seen that in a long time. We have such terribly performing ones versus ones that perform most exactly the same over but a long still period different. of time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting. So that, that is quite interesting. So that's going to do it for us on this episode number 51. Hope you enjoyed yourself. We tried to bring a little bit more experience and conversation this episode. We've been missing it lately with just reading articles. So hopefully you like the new format. Give us a call. Maybe you've been struggling with something. You don't really know where to turn. Maybe the boss is yelling at you and you're stressed out. 904-270-9603 or drop us a comment on thebeardedmarketers.com and we will get back to you. And if we can't help you out directly, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that can. Again, I hope you enjoyed your time. Stay tuned to thebeardedmarketers.com for new updates. We talked about remarketing tonight. Rob actually has a video coming out about that soon, so stay tuned for that. We also have some other tune-up videos coming out shortly, so a lot of content coming out for our viewers who we so dearly love. If you also enjoyed yourself, leave us a review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.